What is your part in this? I'll talk. He was slinging pawns at a B&B when he had an epiphany. I make a part in about time too about not playing the ND. It was free for all and I heard him say he bought my borderlands. But just sit back and let Spencer do his trick cause you're incapable AMs. Hello and welcome to Keep Off the Borderlands. My name's Spencer, aka Free Thrall, and in this episode, I'm going to be responding to a message from Jason Connolly of Nerds RPG Variety Cast. And in light of recent talk about labels, I figured it would probably be better to cite specific examples from my personal experience as a player to illustrate features I feel are distinct to certain types of games. Things like um, mechanics that require you to view the fiction from the outside. Non-diegetic, if you want to be fancy about it. So let's go over to our man in the field, Mr. Jason Connolly. Hey Spencer, Jason here. Just started episode 173, Shirker's Playground. And, you know, we were all new podcast listeners at one point, and we made it through just fine. I think most of us are a little bit better now at giving a little bit of background or a little bit of, um, man, my brain's not working. I'm driving home from work in the rain. But, you know, giving a little bit of, um, anyway, explaining what the conversation's about or the call's about. So I think it's better than it was. But we all got through it being new podcast listeners, so I'm not too worried about other new podcast listeners getting it. It's a little bit drinking from the fire hose, but I have faith that they can handle it. And as far as curating back catalogs, I I think trying to curate history and change the narrative is a dangerous, dangerous thing, which, which is not at all an attack on Colin. And I agree with you, there's a lot of skill in the episodes that he puts together that is curating those topics and conversations, and I don't have any issue with that, I, but, I, but I do think, you know, removing shows from your back catalog, and, and I'm not talking specifically about Spike Pit, the RPG podcast there, I'm talking about any podcast, I, I, I think is fraught with um, perils, so just one man's opinion but let me go on and listen to your actual show oh after daniel's praise and your praise of andy his head might be getting a little bit big i'm just kidding andy's a great gm and i do love what he does but um yeah you definitely don't need all that stuff i've been running barbarians lamoria without it on our thursday night game and the feedback i get is that it's good so i have to assume it's okay i don't know um Maybe I have to run one of those in London time frame so you guys can play in it. Hey, Jason. Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast there, and thank you very much for those calls. I'm going to have to start paying you as a motivational coach, I think. Um, yeah, the, the, the episode title was Shirker's 
Playtime, which is it's a reference to an old BBC radio program called Workers' Playtime, which is also the title of a Billy Bragg album. Two things that I don't expect you to be familiar with. As far as, yeah, going back and altering content of past podcasts, I was specifically talking about Colin and what he was doing there and how impressed I was with that and how helpful it was in kind of condensing that broader conversation that had taken place over several episodes, kind of tying all that together in one episode, I think is a great idea. I wasn't suggesting altering narratives. I don't know if the, perhaps you're referencing my recent incident of uh, saying something that wasn't true and addressing it and leaving it up there as opposed to going back and removing it. I'm not about to deny what I said, especially, you know, it's something I broadcast publicly. I wouldn't attempt to try and pull off a stunt like that. I mean, I'm not a politician. As for Andy Goodman's head getting big, um, I don't know. He's British. We're not very good at hearing that kind of praise. He'll find some way to uh, find the negative in there somewhere. I assure you, you only have to just ask a British person how they are on the street and it's, oh, not too bad. Mustn't grumble. Could be worse. I'm joking, of course, but there is a little truth in that. And anyway, you want to be giving yourself some credit there, Jason. I mean, I'd love to get in on that Barbarians of Lemuria game myself. And if you were considering doing it at a more convenient time for us awkward Brits, I'd certainly be interested. Now, in the next message that Jason sent me, he goes into explaining the fast and slow turn combat of Shadow of the Demon Lord. Now, just to clarify, I do understand how the mechanic works. And if anything, I feel that it somehow manages to speed combat up a little, breaking it down like that. My issue was only really with the terminology and how... I struggled to translate what was happening at the table compared to what was actually going on in the fiction. Now, I think when Arlen spoke about that, Arlen Walker, live from Pelham's Wasteland, broke it down in his episode, it did seem to make more sense to me. Hey, Spencer, Jason here. So, as far as labels go, I don't disagree that they're very, they can be very useful. I think the problem with RPGs are labels aren't necessarily accurate per game. They almost have to be set up by that game master for how they run that game, right? So the way Laren's husband, Jeff, would run a game, so you can, we can pick the same game, even whether it's OSC or, you know, or Sword and Scoundrel, right? And the way Jeff runs it might be a much more narrative story character driven game than somebody that runs it in a more mechanical fashion. So I, I think that's one of the, your problems is you, you need the GMs to label the games. You can't put the labels on the rule books, unlike maybe a board game or a movie or something like that. 
Now, I think that's where me and Jason kind of part ways slightly because while I agree that you can, you know, emphasise the more story game elements or the, the, the gamist side of things, when you're running the game, your example of Sword and Scoundrel there is one where I believe the mechanics are designed to emphasise those story game elements. And were you to run that mechanically, the resulting game would be a story game. I'm not saying you couldn't run Sword and Scoundrel as less of a story game. You'd have to kind of skip over all the uh, the narrative drive stuff and breaking everything down into scenes, not play it rules as written. That's the way I understand the game anyway. I mean, I know there's a lot of stuff in there regarding tactical combat and you could lean into that but that's only one element of the game i don't expect you to agree with that but while everything is on a spectrum i think there are games designed in such a way that they fit quite nicely into those categories the thing is that the majority of games are a mixture of those different elements and therefore a little harder to pigeonhole But um, thanks for your calls, Jason. I really, really appreciate that. Cheers. So, following a bit of a discussion that was going on over at the uh, Audio Dungeon Discord, I figured it might be a little more helpful, rather than keep referring to narrative or story game elements, that I would elaborate on exactly what I felt was different about Sword and Scoundrel, why it was a unique playing experience for me, and what and why that was. Bearing in mind that in recent years, I've only really played a handful of games, let's have a think, um, Barbarians of Lemuria, Sword and Wizardry, Old School Essentials, Into the Odd, Call of Cthulhu, ICRPG, The Black Hack. Actually, there's a few more than I than I thought. Along with various homebrews and playtests and stuff. But I think there the, there's certainly elements I think that are common to all those games. And I, I'm talking about the kind of the structure of the game that these rules produce. And I felt that Sword and Scoundrel created a very different kind of game. And um, actually, let's go go right back to, to character creation, actually, because when you're creating a character, you have to think of drives, motivations, certain proclivities that the character has. Also, Arlen Walker, live from Pelham's Wasteland, who was running that game, presented us with um, like a scenario this political situation, a struggle for power. And when we were creating our characters, we had to link them to that situation. They had to have some kind of personal connection or investment in how this story played out. So that was something I'd not really considered when creating characters in games before, you know, kind of tailoring them to a specific situation. 
And during play, there was a lot of this meta talk. Arlen would explain the upcoming scene and then we would discuss what we were intending to do within that scene and um, what we were hoping to achieve. Then we would do the scene. Then at the end of the scene, depending on how successful we were, whether we invoked any of those character traits, those you know um, tendencies, proclivities, whether we kind of made any advancement story-wise regarding our motivations and the the situation at large, we would be awarded points for that based on yeah how successful we were in achieving our goals, in invoking our drives and playing up those character traits. And we would be awarded points which we could spend on various character skills. And then we would discuss the, the next scene. So it was, yeah, I felt that the a large amount of play was essentially metagaming. It didn't really come natural to me playing a game like that. It was certainly a very interesting experience, but um, it took a little bit of getting used to. So I guess when I'm talking about story game and narrative elements, I'm talking about that stuff that looking at the bigger picture of the game and our characters within it at that kind of meta level. And as I say, that was a very different experience to all the other games I've played. Now, I'm not saying that when you're playing those other games, you aren't advancing the story, but there's something more immediate about that. You're dealing with what's in front of you and advancement through the story is a byproduct of that. So just to clarify again what I'm saying here, the structure of the game is the result of the rules as written in the book, not decisions made by Arlen, and that these these elements are what I refer to when I talk about story game elements. That is what makes the game unique, unlike anything else I've played previously or since, and what sets it apart from what I have previously referred to as conventional RPGs. And I'd like to perhaps illustrate the difference there by exploring a character I had in Dave Aldridge's Black Hack Sessions and how that character had a very clear arc but it wasn't something that was born out of intentions I had for the character it was very much a result of play and something that was only apparent to me when I looked back at that character's journey Right, so I should probably also point out that this episode was partly inspired by another podcast, Rolling Bones with Ryan Howard, episode 94, entitled The Importance of Fantasy and RPGs, in which he does a nice potted history of the modern fantasy novel 
beginning with uh, the work of John Ruskin. And that was that was a really interesting episode and well worth a listen. But at one point, Ryan says something along the lines of, he's talking about character arcs and talking about how it's the DM's job to manage the arcs of each individual player character, you know. And my first thought was, is that really necessary? Do you have to do that? Or is that in the hands of the player? Because, well, I'm going to tell you a little story about a character of mine, Brap Crudman, and how I feel just from random elements that came up during play. I constructed a coherent narrative. That character arc was something that was very much in my hands. And maybe it was just fortuitous. The, the You know, the planets aligned and it played out in a very interesting way. But um, perhaps not. Yes, I wanted to talk about a character I created called Brap Crudman for the Black Hack campaign that Dave DePercentile, Aldridge, was running in his setting, uh, Melcher's Vale. This was my first Black Hack character, essentially my first sort of foray into campaign play since returning to the hobby. And Brap was uh, from the town of Shroudwick. He was essentially part of the local mob involved in debt collection, extortion, protection rackets. Basically a blunt instrument. But his shortness of temper got him into a bit of trouble and ended up with him being kicked out of the mob. He also had a fiancé who had absconded ran away with somebody else, and he was basically at rock bottom. That was his background. And Brap had decided that he wants to better himself. He wants to redeem himself. That was what was motivating him to seek adventure, I guess. And one of the first missions he was involved in was investigating an incident that had happened at the temple of Slora the Merciful, the goddess of second chances. So this fed very nicely into his redemption narrative, I guess. So this temple had been raided by raven cultists of uh, High Maya, a, a town just to the north, who had uh, slaughtered many of the priests and basically ransacked and desecrated this temple and this was Brap's chance to better himself work for a worthy cause as it were uh, this led Brap to High Meyer, and I'm, I'm a bit a bit shady on the details but he managed to get himself into a bit of bother with the Cobblers Guild and he became a wanted man and was then pursued by the well-shod assassins. 
and they they did actually catch up with him but he he took care of them and ended up with a nice shiny new pair of boots brap never kind of ventured far beyond the area of shroudwick and highmire when we went to adventuring in mud harbor i created a a wizard called moot who i used there at, at, at one point there was a rumor going round that Brap had been spotted in the area. I actually, I pointed out to Dave that unlike the other characters we were playing with, Brap had not actually been to Mud Harbour. It stayed in the Shroudwick Highmire area north of the map. So Dave said, well, maybe it's a case of mistaken identity. So then there was this idea that there was another character wandering around who'd been mistaken for Brap. And Brap capitalised on this by deciding to change his identity. Now, at one point, Brap came across a weapon. It was a one-use magical item, the sickle, that allowed him to remove the face of a victim and wear that face as his own. And he was able to take out this rather grotesque-looking bandit and essentially steal his face. Now at some point we were in a dungeon, we came across these angelic beings and Brap was completely enthralled by these creatures. Um, my understanding was that they were somehow alien creatures but Brap saw them as angels because he'd been, he'd been completely charmed by them. He failed a um, check and from that point on brap had become obsessed with these creatures and decided that that was his calling these are the beings that he wanted to serve and that stealing this bandit's face had kind of completed that transformation he took on a new identity became known as lazarus newman who dedicated himself to what he saw as a, a force for good. And then, in the, in the last session he was in, the last session we played of that, we attended a masked ball, and his mask was that of a cherub. And I felt at that point he transformed to being this kind of twisted, avenging angel and I felt that was a really, really nice arc for the character. What was interesting about that is I believe all the, all the elements that led into that narrative were completely chosen at random. And to me, I just felt that gave Brap a proper narrative with a real arc to it. And I mean, a lot of these thoughts that I had about Brap concerning his motivations and stuff half of that was simply going on in my head you know what was motivating him i wasn't necessarily verbalizing all that the character was just acting on it and i don't know i just feel that it's an interesting contrast to the kind of game that sword and scoundrel was so there you go the tale of brat crudman Basically a character uh, full of regrets, 
wants to go out and become a force for good in the world, but ultimately ends up remaining essentially a blunt instrument just being wielded by a different power. And that's not a story I set out to tell. That was just something that kind of organically evolved through play and through my kind of finding a story in a random series of events. Not the kind of story I think I could intentionally set out to tell. And something I didn't really see until I looked back and considered events along that journey. So yeah, labels, terminology, there's potential pitfalls everywhere, isn't there? And um, different words mean different things to different people. For example, whenever Jason mentions communism, I don't think of the Soviet Union. I'm not thinking of China or Red Dawn or even Ivan Drago. The first thing that springs to my mind is tight-suited Marxist surrealist comedian Alexei Sale. In the old days, people used to be named after what they made, didn't they? Carter, if they made carts. Cooper, if they made barrels. Thatcher, if they made people sick. Sorry, where was I? Um, oh yeah. Well, that's about enough from me, I think. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you so much for your calls. If you want to leave me a message, please contact me via the anchor link in the description. You can always email me or leave me an audio message at spencer.freeforall at gmail.com. There's a Facebook page for Keep Off the Borderlands. You can find me on Twitter and MeWe on the Audio Dungeon Discord and various other places on Discord as Free Thrall. I'd also like to thank TJ Drennan for the wonderful music he provides. And it just remains for me to say, take it away, TJ. Warning, if celebrating the sound of dice hitting the table and pondering the meaning of the many acronyms within your player's handbook doesn't cure that burning sensation, please see your doctor.